0: Hello and welcome to Make and Tame, the podcast breaking the stigma and lifting the lid on inspiring people who are making a difference. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by James, the founder of Healthy Living James, a food blogger with over a million followers sharing healthy home-cut recipes across his platforms. And this is actually just one part of James' story as we open up on the podcast about his upbringing and how golf played a massive part of his life in his early years. However, this all came to a massive halt when he suddenly became seriously ill and bedbound for over two years. And I was having the opportunity, having James on the podcast, and it's actually really inspiring hearing about his story of being bedbound for two years when he got diagnosed with ME. Now his life literally just got flipped upside down one day after a family holiday, but the importance of his mindset, obviously what he went through during them, really dark times and how he found a way out. And obviously the main thing, make himself better as well and how he changed his diet and nutrition on-site treatment. Here's what's coming up on this week's episode.
1: I just wasn't getting better. Like it was lingering around for like two, three months where I just felt really ill all the time. Um, and then I went on holiday with my parents up north somewhere and I literally couldn't get out of bed. I felt so, so ill. We came back off that holiday and I just felt so, so ill. And I, I'd lost two or three stone in weight. I was really wow. struggling. Um, and I just said, my dad and my parents just said, that's enough, like we're going to take him to the doctors.
0: Just before I jump into the podcast with James, make sure to click that subscribe button. The more subscribers, the bigger guests I can get on the podcast. And if you do get a chance to share the podcast with family, friends on your social media, honestly, I always appreciate all the support I get for the Make and Same podcast. And finally, if you want to support the pod, there's a link in my bio if you want to find out more about that. With all that out of the way, let's jump into the podcast with James. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Make and Same podcast. I'm joined by James, the founder of Healthy Living James. Would you just like to do like a bit of introduction, James, to kind of um, your blog and your platform?
1: Thanks for having me on, Dan. Um, so, yeah, like you said, Healthy Living James is the sort of brand name that I go under. Uh, I started my blog six years ago, roughly. Um, so I set up a website, social media, uh, and at first I sort of was doing it for a bit of fun, I guess, Um sharing some recipes that I had taught myself how to make, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so I, I set up my socials, started posting recipes and it just started growing. And I, I um, just kept going with it really and published a book last year um, called for living James. So that was packed full of um, some of my best recipes and a lot of new recipes. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun journey.
0: Yeah, no, it's in, been incredible to see it grow. Obviously, you've got over kind of a million followers now across like your different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go back, I always find it quite interesting with the guests. If we go back to kind of like the start of your journey, but what was the kind of South of England like, obviously growing up as a, as a kid?
1: Really good. Like I had a, an amazing upbringing. Um, I was really sort of hyper, crazy, nuts kid. I had too much energy basically, uh, which is quite funny because when we go into my story, it was a complete opposite, but I had tons of energy and actually I channeled a lot of that energy into sport. That was like my release, I guess I couldn't sit still. So like for me, sport was such an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, In, in school I was so hyper that I was being chucked out of class nearly every day. Like I was really struggling uh, academically and actually my parents decided to put me into private school when I was about mm, ten, nine or ten, I think, maybe eight, nine, ten, something like that, just because I was um, just not going to get an education otherwise because I was just getting chucked out all the time and I needed I, – I found late. I found out later that I was quite dyslexic and I clearly needed more attention than I was going to get um, – so,
0: pri- how was that experience? Obviously, being nine, ten, going to private school was that quite daunting? Being quite very young at the time.
1: Yeah, it was quite difficult actually. Maybe I was a little bit older actually because I think I was already playing golf, and I started golf when I was ten. So maybe it was like eleven or twelve. But it it wasn't easy. Like changing schools for anyone's pretty difficult. And then from going from state to private is actually quite quite a change. Like I. Um, Everyone, I found state school quite lenient and then in going into private school, it was very strict, like quite strict. Like you couldn't get away with the things that I was getting away with. Oh, really? um, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's funny because you'd think it would be the other way around because like your bit, your sort of parents yeah. are obviously paying for it. So they sort of... Uh, they, yeah, it's diff-, it's diff. It was really different experience, and it it d- definitely sorted me out a bit. And and private school, I got sport every day, and that was crucial for me, like being able to use my energy to play sport. Whereas in state school, I wasn't getting that every day, so that was a big plus for for the private school for me.
0: Quite interesting. I had a conversation with one of my friends from uni, and she's recently started um, dating a guy, and he basically com- he came from private school, and he was saying. He has a conversation with his friends about whether, obviously they're having kids now, whether they put their kid through public yeah. or private, and it and yeah. there's, there's there's actually really divided mm. in between whether they would want the kids to go to public or private. But
1: we've actually been talking about it. Us, yeah, we've been talking about that exact thing ourselves. Like, uh, my wife and I have just had a baby; she's nine months old, and we we've been talking about what we're gonna do, um, and we're both. Um, swaying towards private if we can afford it at the time. It's obviously a few years off yet, but um, I, I think a lot of it is the. I, I, there's probably not a drastic difference in education, I would say, if if you're quite motivated to learn. But sport-wise, it's it's a huge difference. Like you you are getting activity every single day, um, which I don't think you're getting in state really. So. And I think activities, obviously, s- yeah, <laughs> once, once a, week. a week. Yeah, which is just not enough. Like, um, So, yeah, it's, we're both for it. I can imagine it can be quite difficult in relationships. One's for it and one isn't. You, you kind of mentioned
0: there about sport being a massive part of your life growing up. I mean, mm. was there any particular sports? The ones obviously I'm aware of is, is golf. Did you kind of enjoyed all the sports when you, when you were younger?
1: Yeah, I just seemed to have a real, like natural ability at sport I, I don't know really where it came from because my uh, n- my parents aren't sort of sporty I've got no my brother isn't um none of my like uncle or anything like no one really in my family's that been that sporty so it was quite random that I was um or am and I like I said I channeled a lot of the energy that I had in sport and I would play everything that I was allowed to play so um a lot of football rugby hockey um the only sport i don't actually like is cricket like it's literally the only sport i cannot oh, right. stand <laughs> it's just I've, i just can't i just fun,
0: find it t- it's fun to watch <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> with, I just, uh, with the alcohol maybe but yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I, I just can't i just don't get it like it just seems too too boring for me everything else i'm really into and then My mum actually got me a golf lesson when I was 10 years old uh, down the road from where we lived and I absolutely loved it. Like I really enjoyed it. So I just kept playing. And by the time I was sort of 12 years old, it was my main sport. Really. I was focusing mostly on golf. Um, I was already representing Dorset junior team, I think when I was, I I think I played for the under 14s, under 16s and under 18s and I actually played for Dorset men's, uh, one of the youngest to ever play for Dorset men's team when I was 14 or 15 years old. So I, uh, you know, I got pretty good at golf quite quickly. So you kind of found that passion kind of from a young age.
0: Is golf Mm. quite a frustrating sport I've heard that like some days you could be. Amazing, and then other days you you can't even hit the ball, kind of thing. (laughs)
1: It's it's a lot harder than people make it look. Like if you watch it on TV, you think, "Yeah, I can do that." You go down the driving range, and it is hard. It's very, very hard. It's technically very difficult. You the the margin for error is like very small. So if you are, you know, the if the club face only needs to be open by like naught or closed by like. 0.1 0.1 degree or two degrees and it's the ball's going sideways so it's very oh, technically yeah. demanding Um and it's out of all the sport I've played it's by far the hardest to be good at um, yeah I, a
0: lot of people say that I've, I've never really done it I've done the driving range um, a few times but uh, I think it's a sport if, if I think it's one of the sports like you kind of you need to have friends like interested in mm. as well like where you go together yeah um yeah. but yeah maybe yeah, one day I'll, I'll get into it from listening um and kind of reading about yourself James like you seem like a very kind of driven and a very kind of ambitious person mm. is that something you would say you've you've had from a young age yeah
1: I I think from, like from when I was in sport even like I always wanted to be the best that I could be like very competitive so you know I always want wanted to win <laughs> that was that was just me and I think golf was great for that because it is an individual sport, so whatever you put in, you're going to get out. Um, whereas a lot of other sports are team sports, aren't they? So, I felt like golf was a great one for me because it was just all on me. If I put in the time, I was going to get better, and I could, I would, I just love winning like that. That is what used to motivate me. Kind of thing, yeah, mm. and it has transpired into what I do now. Like I have. Um, Put in a lot of time, and it, I, I guess people sort of see the end result, don't they? And they think that it's been you've got lucky or whatever it is. But it's it's yeah. been six six years to to this point. Like it's not a overnight thing. Like there's a lot of hard work that goes into these things.
0: I think a lot of people don't see that as well. I think with like the likes of like TikTok now, and you see people like blow up overnight. Mm. Um, and get the followers or get the, the sponsorship or the deals and the money and everything else what comes with it. And I think they always say like three years is the lucky number. Um, I've heard it a few times. If you if you really kind of focus on something and you put your heart into it and, you, and you're really kind of um, consistent, then they say that three years is when you finally kind of get that lucky break. I was going to ask yeah. with, with your fam- family as well, did they have much influence on yourself in terms of that drive? Because I know me personally, I get a lot of it from um, both my parents, but particularly my dad. Was there anyone in that kind of your life where you can kind of resemble why you are the way you are today?
1: I think my, both my parents are quite driven. My dad um, was quite successful in what he he did in a few big companies and my mum run her own hairdressing business. So like she's been Uh, you know running your own business is very different to working for someone else so like my parents have had both sides my dad's been quite high up in the company and then my mum's run her own business so I think having both of their input has helped me as well Um, because it is completely different when you're doing things on your own and you've got to motivate yourself and you've got to the first few years that I did this it wasn't about um being a business like I only turned I it into a business like about two and a half three years into it I actually when we got married I thought okay it's I set, set up the blog in 2016 um, and we got married in 2018 being um, hopefully I've got that right <laughs> um yeah <laughs> and so about two and a half years in I think I realized okay like now I need to turn it into a bit more of a business and the the money side of it's never really driven me it's always just like the the like get what i get out of it from people making recipes and things like that that's what motivates me
0: yeah and i think more so now with people is that i think people kind of want that flexibility and that kind of freedom in it. you know working Mm. for yourself
1: yeah it's it's really there's a lot of freedom but it's quite a lot of pressure to it as well it's like it's both of it you can do things at different like I don't need to work nine to five. I could do different timings if I want to. But again, if you don't put in the work, you're not going to get anywhere. So it's you have to be quite motivated. Yeah, And it'd be
0: great to kind of touch upon like obviously healthy living, James. When when you set off obviously doing the recipes, was would you say cooking has always been something from a young age you've always been quite passionate about or something you've enjoyed doing?
1: When I was younger, I didn't really have a passion for food really. Like I... My mum's always been a keen sort of cook. She always... A home cook. Like, she's always experimented with recipes. She was, she's was she been vegetarian for, like, 40-odd years. So, like, generally... Oh, wow. People that have been vegetarian for that long are, be, are generally more, like, into cooking, I think. Because 40 years ago or 30 years ago, like, you couldn't just buy ready-made vegetarian food. Like, it wasn't a thing, I don't think like you know obviously things have evolved so much um now you can get what you want really but generally she was keen um home cook so I always saw her cooking and but I never really sort of paid attention to it much or helped out I would say my passion only came when I was housebound that was when my passion for cooking sort of came um because it gave me a focus really but yeah my parents are um we're we're all very keen on food like as a family whenever we have a family gathering it's all revolves around food like that's we're all big foodies it's been a big part
0: yeah was mm. there uh, any like recipes what kind of remind you of home or any like recipes from like, I remember, if I, for example, if I have dumplings, dumplings it always reminds me of um, my grandma. But yeah. is there any family recipes which have had an uh, influence on you?
1: No, not really. I'm not like I'm, remember. I can remember. I just remember a lot of my childhood, my parents had a, a kitchen with an arger in it. Um, and in the summer, we would turn that off because it was just too hot because it heats the whole room. Um, oh. So I remember barbecuing. My dad used to barbecue all through the summer, like every night. It was on the barbecue. So I really love barbecues now. <laughs> That's all yeah. I can really remember. That's pasta. That. I
0: was gonna say with um, with obviously you kind of mentioned the the kind of passion come um, obviously later on in life for you. If we kind of talk about uh, the diagnosis and and, and MS, I, I thought it was quite interest interesting. In the lead up to that,
1: was there like any signs? I had probably about a year before I was ill, I started having dizzy spells, um, but didn't really know what it, where it was coming from or or why. At that time I was quite competitively playing golf and it did affect me a few times. Um, oh, wow. And then sort of a year, year and a half later, that was when I fell really ill but there was no real warning signs. It was very much like I was fine one day and then I was very ill the next day. I went out for dinner with friends um, just to a restaurant in Bournemouth. Woke up the next morning and I just felt really, really rough. I thought it was food poisoning because I was sort of sick for a, a week. Yeah. And it prob- thinking back, it probably was food poisoning that triggered it. And... Um, and i was just it's one of those where normally you sort of get better after what 3 or 5 days or a week yeah, a couple of days yeah and then i just wasn't getting better like it was lingering around for like 2 3 months where i just felt really ill all the time um and then i went on holiday with my parents up north somewhere and i literally couldn't get out of bed i felt so so ill um and we came. It's quite scary. Yeah, yeah, it was it's it's
0: li- quite scary, innit? How, how how fast it, it kind of happened with the when you had them dizzy spells. Then was did you go to the doctors or did you just did you just think oh it it's just I'm going through a bit of a phase like it'd be fine.
1: Like, I can't remember if I went to doctors back then. Um, I literally can't remember. I mean, nothing. I wasn't. If I did, I wasn't. Nothing came up. there was no there was no like reason that I knew that w- what was going on. So it wasn't, Yeah, I can't, I can't remember if I did go, but if I did go, there wasn't anything that came up. So, um, yeah, it was quite, it's very sudden thing from someone that was, you know, so active. Like, like I said earlier, I had a lot of energy could play, walk two rounds of golf in a day, it's 10, 10 miles plus easy it was very sudden change to then being pretty much overnight really ill. Um, and that was when we came back off that holiday and I just felt so, so ill and I I'd lost two or three stone in weight. I was really struggling. Um, I just, said my dad and my parents just said, that's enough. Like we're going to take him to the doctors and my dad had to actually carry me into doctor's surgery. That's how bad I'd gotten. Um, and I, I remember I actually sat in the doctor's surgery and just said ambulance. That was the only word that I could get out. Um, and then they rushed me in for a suspected brain tumor at that point because I had multiple symptoms of it, which was very scary. Yeah. Cause was it was speech, one of them as well? Like you, well, I was struggling to talk. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't... Uh, I think it was more energy-related. Like, I just had nothing in the tank. Like, I was yeah. so exhausted. I couldn't really talk because of that. But it probably came across like, you know, I was very slurry and I, I literally just said ambulance. That was the only word that I could say. That's how exhausted I was. So I'd had... Um, obviously the loss of weight there was multiple symptoms that they were very concerned about with that um and my doctor knew me very well as well like and was sort of knew my family and he knew like how active a person I am so for him to see me being carried in there and he knew like something wasn't right what was your like headspace during that point I mean because
0: obviously you've gone to the doctors I mean they did all the scans did what did they kind of come back with? Did they actually find any kind of reinsurance there?
1: I was kept in hospital for about 12 days and nothing was found. The, mad, eh? the, obviously the brain scans or everything was fine. All the tests that I had came back fine. Um, so after about 12, I think it was 12 or 13 days I was in hospital for, um, And that was, I think it was about day five or six. I had a a lumbar puncture. They wanted to do a lumbar puncture to see, to take fluid from my spine to see if there was anything. Uh, I think that's how they tell whether things are quite serious, like virus related. Um, Oh wow. And it's quite a scary thing to have done. Like they put a big needle in your back and it's it's horrible. And halfway through, I thought I was going to faint and they had to stop and take the needle out. And they then gave me pain medication to take away the pain in my back and that was what I had an uh, anaphylactic reaction to. So I couldn't
0: breathe. Having a food allergy, obviously anaphylaxis is system, which... Um, Obviously I'm aware of and I imagine some of the listeners as well, but was that your first time you went into anaphylaxis where your neck swells and you you can't breathe?
1: Yeah, it was the first time. So I had a huge rash come up on my chest. My airway completely went like I had, I was gasping. Um, Luckily I was in hospital. I, I literally couldn't imagine what people go through if they go, have a reaction like that um you know not in hospital it would be horrific to go through that like very very yeah, scary experience source. you don't know about it. you don't yeah. really understand it until you've you've had that
0: yeah because obviously I, I carry me adrenaline and epipens mm-hmm. and um but i know there's people i've had on the podcast who it happened to them they didn't even know they had a food allergy yeah there's there's one there's like one story i read where A guy went for a a seafood restaurant to celebrate his birthday. Didn't realise he's allergic to, I think, shellfish or whatever, lobster. Mm -hmm. He went into anaphylaxis and unfortunately died because obviously didn't he wasn't aware and it's it's scary. But I can't imagine mm. what what you went through as well. Obviously having the operation and that straight after. Um, I mean, did did you have you had any reactions to? to food as well so i've been that as well
1: hypersensitive so uh, it's a quite a common thing with people that have been diagnosed with me they're very their whole uh, sort of um, uh, body is hypersensitive to a lot of different things smell t- um, taste medication supplements all, all of it really hypersensitive um so I'd had a few sort of reactions to where I'd get like a, a rash to a few things when I was more in my, ha- um, that was after the hospital experience. So I, I would only had that anaphylaxis once. Um, but I'd had other sort of rashes and things like that happen. Mm. Um, and then, if i have dairy or eggs i have just severe diarrhea like not a anaphylactic reaction but just a stomach related reaction um yeah
0: i feel i feel like that's like becoming more common now even mm. i i've cut out dairy um even like obviously like i have only have like oat milk now and um yeah yeah it's crazy obviously i think education because imagine back then obviously people probably wasn't aware what was the what was the next steps then obviously from the hospital so obviously at this point they still hadn't actually found out what it was you've just had the the operation in terms of trying to Mm. see if it's a virus what was kind of the next steps after that
1: was kept in for a few more days like five more days after i had that reaction then Basically, I was told that there was nothing that they could find or do for me and I needed to go home and rest. They thought it'd be a virus and that I had to just go home and and rest and I would get better. So I went home. I was living with my parents at that time. This is when I'm 21, by the way. Um, I was then in bed for two years from that point. So two years yeah it was a long time and i actually had a few reactions thinking about it now i actually had a few reactions to other medication once put me back in hospital it felt like i had fire going through my veins literally felt like i was going to explode um so i went back in once for that yeah
0: no honestly i can't imagine kind of what you went through if if we touch upon them, them two years. So you, you was essentially bed bound in terms of like you, you, you did, you didn't move. Like you was literally like you, you couldn't do anything. Like.
1: Yeah. So those two, years, the first six months, I was at my worst. I wasn't able to have a light on. Really, I was very sensitive to light. I couldn't watch TV, read, text, um, write hardly. I, I could hardly put a sentence together. Um, so I, I was really struggling in that first six months. Um, it was a pretty scary you, place. Where, where was your headspace during that time? Because I can't imagine obviously being this
0: like super active person. Mm. Um, like you say golf was such a massive part of your life. For then for all that to be taken away and obviously not being able to move out of your bed. I mean, you, you must have gone through some pretty dark times, I can imagine. Like-
1: yeah, very, very tough. Like it's... People always ask, like, how did you make it through those few years? And it's it's one of those where I didn't have a choice. You know, you just got to mm. just got to get through it, haven't you? Like, you've just got. I've always been quite positive, and I always felt like I was gonna get better um, at some point. So I always tried to stay positive with that. But it was it was really tough. Like some days were really difficult. And it feels a lot of the days just merged into one because it was, it's just Mm. such a long process. Like I know a lot of people, we've now been through sort of lockdown and things like that. And people have started to understand a little bit more what it's like to be confined to a space and then to actually feel really bad, really ill at the same time and actually be in bed. Like it was a diff really difficult time mentally, physically I'd lost, all my leg strength like i i hadn't forgotten how to walk but i really struggled to stand up for the first few months of get when i actually made it out of bed i really struggled like i'd have my dad would have to effectively hold me while i walked um i'd lost all of my leg strength everything um so yeah it was a really tough time and yeah, I didn't really allow many people to come and visit me because they sort of people knew me what I was like before, and I just didn't want people to see me like that. It was just quite sort of depressing. I thought I thought that was quite quite an interesting point when
0: when when you kind of mentioned that in terms of not wanting people. I mean, everyone obviously everyone's different. Do you, do you feel like if people was there that there might have you might have got that support to not. Not, not like perk up, but do, do you know? Imagine being on your own, and then obviously you're not seeing people as well. It must, it must, it must have been like really hard. And obviously, you kind of spoke about obviously not wanting people to see you in in that way. I mean, it was it must, a bit of that. You must have felt quite isolated. In yeah,
1: some ways. it was isolating, but it was also I had no energy. So ha- having someone around is actually takes a lot of energy. Like even like now, if you're feeling say like, you know, when you've got, when you're really ill and you literally yeah. cannot, you just don't want to talk to anyone, right? Like you're just too yeah, tired, yeah, you absolutely. feel w- awful. So a lot of it was that as well. Like I just didn't have the energy there to to even do it. So it was a bit of both. Like I, one, I didn't want people to see me that way and two, I just didn't have it in me. Um, so yeah, it was a difficult time for that.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine obviously experiences like kind of what you went through
1: Mm. I mean before that moment as well
0: did you ever obviously you kind of you've touched upon obviously like your mental health and and kind of what you went through would you say that was like the first time you like really experienced it because I think it'd be quite hard for I think if some people haven't experienced like either depression or anxiety or mental health, then it's, some, it's quite hard for people sometimes to like resonate with that. Yeah. Did you have any experiences in prior to being bedbound in terms of like your mental health and your emotions?
1: No, not at all. I maybe had some exposure to it because I was playing quite big golf tournaments and I remember I was getting more and more anxious before big tournaments um, Like as the pressure was growing. I remember I was getting a bit of anxiety then, but... Apart from that, no real exposure to it. So I was chucked in, you know, properly into the deep end of it. (laughs) As as deep as you could go, really. Um, Because obviously at this time I was getting no real support from medical side. I was just told that I was diagnosed with ME after six months of being bed bound. And I was told. that it took him so long? That was just the criteria back then. I think it's more like three months now. They need to know that you've suffered with multiple symptoms for for six months. Um, so it was, it was. I was told that that was what I had and that there was no cure and that I'd just have to rest and hopefully I'll get better. That was, that was it. That's insane. Isn't it? Yeah. So it's quite like, scary on the hospital. Yeah. Mm. So I didn't I really mean, know what was, what was happening.
0: Is that me like genetics then? Like how, obviously you're a healthy guy. Like this could happen to anyone. Like, mm. How
1: like how does it happen? Is it genetic? Nobody, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's like it's a very mis sort of understood thing. A lot of people. Uh, what has caused it for me, or what the way that like my symptoms can be very different to someone else? Um, so nobody what, really knows. Yeah.
0: What are them kind of main symptoms? Then it would be kind of tiredness. Yeah. Um dizziness yeah so appetite, i had maybe, yeah.
1: it was it wasn't even tiredness it's like extreme fatigue like you the only way i can say it is when you know when you feel your absolute worst that you maybe yeah. think back to like the worst you've ever felt in your life it was it's probably worse than that like i had nothing in me like it was like i had I had like 1% battery, you know, like when your phone's going to die. I was, yeah, I was in a bad, bad, bad way. Um, so you just have nothing there. So it was extreme fatigue, um, dizziness. I would have, often I would actually have to put my mattress on the floor because I felt like I was going to fall out of bed. That's how dizzy I was at times. So I felt safer being on the floor because I couldn't fall very far. And I never did fall, but I just felt that way. So I'd often have the mattress on the floor so that I didn't, so I felt safer. Um, headaches, extreme sensitivity to light and smell. Um, like I wouldn't even, I my mum couldn't even light a candle in the whole house because I would just react to it. Like I would smell it and give me a headache or so I was, you know, just hypersensitive to a lot of things. How 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 was that? I, what, I kind of wanted to touch upon, obviously, so obviously you've been diagnosed with
0: ME. They've obviously not really give you any information in terms of, like, how to get better. No. What was kind of, like, your headspace, like, in terms of, like, how did your family kind of, how did you get through it as well as your family in terms of, like, how am i going to get better i like, it must i can't imagine getting diagnosed with something and then there not being a cure it must it must mm. have been so scary
1: yeah it was difficult like uh, after that diagnosis of after six months my mum arranged she just sort of said that we're not accepting that as an answer like the answer i was given was wow. you Sorry, my dog's barking. Sorry, no worries. (laughs) We're not accepting that as as an answer. Mum didn't accept that answer for me, that there was no sort of cure. And she booked for a nutritionist to come out and visit me. And obviously I was still severely bed-bound at this point. So she would come out and sit in my bedroom and my mum would talk through what had happened. And she gave some suggestions. And I was so scared of... um, I can imagine that the people that are listening to podcasts that have had reactions to things, they'll understand you just get very scared about taking, especially if you've had a reaction to medication, I guess you or even food like you, you are just scared of trying other things. So I was at this point I'd had, like I said, I had multiple reactions to a few different things. And I was too scared to take a vitamin C. I mean, that's the level that it got to. Like it got to you know, yeah. no one cares about taking vitamin C. I mean, it's just nothing, right? So it's it I was so scared that I would chop I'd get my mum to chop up a vitamin C into quarters because I was too worried about taking a whole one. Um just in case I reacted to it. Um mm. so that was quite scary. But she told me to cut out um gluten and dairy because they're quite inflammatory and that, um, needed to try and give my gut a chance to heal plus take some supplements and, um, a few other suggestions. And so that was kind of like a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It just sort of gave me some hope, I guess. Um, and nothing I, was quick. Like it, you know, like it took another 18 months for me to get out of bed but I slowly did see some progression over that 18 months. I was going to say, obviously, like, it wasn't like,
0: yeah, like 18 months is a long time until mm. you kind of see the the results. Like, yeah. well, day by day, did you just feel a little bit better by cutting out the gluten and dairy?
1: It wasn't day by day. It was kind of like some days I'd feel a little bit better, then the next I'd just feel back to normal again. And then but it was just a very slow progression, like, very, very slow. It was. I'd say I saw, you know, 1%, 2% progression every two to four weeks. Like it was just so slow. Oh, wow. Um, and obviously at the time it's hard to know how much prog- progress you're making. But mm. yeah, it was, I mean, I remember the first time I stepped outside was well over a, well over a year in my bedbound stage, um, that was the How first was time I literally stepped outside. It felt very, it just felt weird. Felt like yeah. the world was massive because I'd obviously been confined to four walls for so long, um, and a lot, like have, f- a lot of people would have. A lot of people would have experienced that in in lockdown, I guess. But when it's literally one bedroom. It feels even harder than like you know in lockdown you can move around your flat or your house or whatever. this was in one I was confined to one room for that for that period of time, so when I stepped outside, it was mad, felt really weird,
0: must have felt so surreal mm. and this was this was a time when you met your your wife now, yeah, so
1: right? when I said I wouldn't allow people to come and visit me, I actually didn't generally want friends to visit me partly like i said i didn't want that sort of judgment i felt less judged by people that didn't know me in a way um so yeah so she came out to visit me uh, occasionally at the start um and she would just sit there and just not really she would just talk to me and i wouldn't really talk back um and then yeah, she just started coming more and more and just helping around the house more and more. Because um, my mum was my full-time carer for those two years that I was in bed. And my dad helped out massively as well. So they were like my full-time carers. Um, so having Louisa around as well helped massively. massively and it, think, you know, like yeah. Like you said earlier, it gave me a bit of a, a boost as well that I needed um, and motivation oh. to to try and get better
0: whereabouts did you guys meet in in prior to um emmy
1: so we had a mutual friend um that we'd met a couple times through a mutual friend but we'd never really spoken and then she heard that through that mutual friend that i was in hospital that was when i was in my in that first hospital stage so she heard that i was very ill and just was texting and then about four, three or four months later came around to see me. Um, so she saw me in my like absolute worst state. Worst, yeah. Um, so like, yeah,
0: it's, 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 it's mad as well. Cause obviously I, like, in prior to that, obviously you wasn't dating. Mm. It's not like you've been out for a few dates. Like you actually no. met through friends a few times and now you've got, have you got two kids together now? No, well? what? One. Yeah, one, what, one. Just one, yeah. Yeah,
1: one's enough. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> not yeah, we've another got, on the way then. This no, is not an exclusive no, on the no, podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, we've got one dog and one baby, and that's quite yeah. hard work as it is. Um, so, yeah, she. Well, our first actual official sort of um date, I guess you'd call it, was we went to a restaurant like two years after we met prop well two years after we sort of started dating effect effectively so yeah when, when,
0: when did you come around was it what was it was it more of um a friendship yeah. which kind of ended up into a relationship yeah, yeah
1: it was yeah we were just were texting a bit and yeah it was more friendship at the start because you know i'm in i was in a state as well so it's like, like i'm not really dating potential yeah. <laughs> Um so I think you know it just felt sorry for me as well, which was which it <laughs> was um part of it. But yeah, we just got to know each other really well and clicked really well. Um it's, so a, it's, just, a, it's amazing yeah, actually. It's a, like, way. it's a different way of like yeah. getting to know someone.
0: Yeah, because obviously like what happens to to yourself, James, is like awful, but then what actually come out of it is mm. is incredible. Like now you've you've got a wife, you've got kids, mm. um, yeah. yeah and you would insane. have never maybe formed that relationship no. if if it didn't happen. So no, that wouldn't. I yeah. mean,
1: we we both met before I was ill, so we wouldn't have probably ever spoken properly if it wasn't for what had happened. So we would, you know, we yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't be here now with without that. So. Yeah. yeah amazing and
0: do you think she she was massive mm. in terms of like your mental headspace at the time going through this and then it's nice to have someone there who who, who cares for you right? yeah
1: yeah I was really vital without that I because like it was very mentally tough on me but it was tough on the people around me as well like you know, mm. f- just for my parents to see that for me go f- from where I was, you know, trying to become a professional golfer, and like very driven, energetic, to then being like I was. Like it was, I would say it was as hard as hard for people around me to watch that. Now mm. that I'm a parent, I couldn't imagine watching your own child go through that. It must have been horrific. Yeah, it was so scary. I mean, how how common is Emmy? I think, um, 250,000 people in the U in the UK have a, or diagnosed oh, with okay. it. It, it, but it's on different tiers. Like some people are extremely, mm. extremely severe that they're like I was, um, for a couple of years. Um, some people are like that for their whole life. Like they don't, they don't really recover from, from that. So I was in that community for a while like the me community and i found it quite depressing because it was you know a lot of very sick people uh, and there wasn't much hope in that space and i just could i had to get myself out of it because it was just too depressing like i needed to see positive stories not hear how ill everyone was feeling if you know what i mean so yeah it was it was quite a difficult um thing to sort of just come out of that because it was they feel like your support network in a way but actually it was just making things harder for me
0: yeah i i i, I understand that and mm-hmm. i think obviously like when you kind of spoke about your mindset being quite positive like you don't want them people pulling strings at it kind of thing if no. you're trying to keep your head above water kind of thing it's yeah. the, it's actually the same within the algae community is people mm-hmm. which obviously to share the negatives all the time and it's yeah. just like yeah I mean I don't need to like, see that like, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that's the thing like that isn't that's a normal thing to happen in those type of spaces but you sometimes you just don't want to don't want to hear it right like if you're struggling enough on your own is you don't want to take on anyone else's stuff as well but, so yeah it's, it's hard yeah, enough to that, get through it on your own
0: Yeah, it's really tricky sometimes because I get a lot of people reaching out being like, and sometimes they don't want to respond. It's like, well, this has happened to me. And it's like, Mm. there's not much I can like, (laughs) yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because obviously you want to help out. But then Mm -hmm. sometimes I think people just want like a, a soundboard and yeah, it can be tricky sometimes to be like, you know what? You've got to set yourself boundaries sometimes. Yeah, you do. That, yeah. You can't and be that's... taking on everyone else's burdens as well as my own challenges, what's yeah. going on in me own And world,
1: that's but... happened via social media as well. Like that is so much easier now, isn't it? To get direct contact to someone and ask them questions mm. and it it's great, but it's also quite tough to to deal with on the other side. So Yeah.
0: I had one the other day actually. Um he messaged me and was like, you've not like, responded to me and like, it's in my DMs. And I was like, it's not in my DMs of what? Mm. And then I did have another look and then it was like Instagram has hidden this message. Uh, yeah. Meaning it's probably like, it could be anything like bad language or mm. spam or Pornographic. i don't know what yeah. this guy sent me yeah but like yeah <laughs> i was like I'm, maybe i don't read that i couldn't see it anyway so um yeah i was going to ask about obviously um healthy living james obviously during kind of your, your journey with emmy that's when you kind of really got into cooking mm. um and there was quite quick rests, weren't there like 10-15 minutes because of your is it your energy, energy levels at the time
1: yeah of- so i after that two-year period i louisa and i moved into an apartment together um, she was out working and at university and I was obviously at home. I was now gluten and dairy free. Like I said before, I hadn't really cooked much. So I was like kind of chucked in the deep end a bit with like having to cook to sort of survive really. Um, so I quickly discovered a passion for it. Like it got me, so I was more housebound at this stage I was in this stage for another three to four years where I was not in bed all the time I was either sort of maybe sitting on the sofa laying on the sofa laying in bed but at home 95% of the time Um, and I was it gave me a purpose of like a few times a day going to my kitchen having a chair in the kitchen because I didn't have the energy to stand up At this time, I was still... I was going... Whenever I went out anywhere, I was in a wheelchair. Like, I couldn't walk more than 50 or 100 yards. Like, so whenever I went out anywhere, I'd need to be in a wheelchair. So I didn't have the energy in my legs or in me to stand up cooking. So I'd have a chair and I'd just sit down, chop, make recipes. And it gave me that purpose a few times a day. And it also... Even does now when I'm cooking or preparing foods, chopping whatever. I don't think about anything else that's going on like around me. Like I sort of zone that's out. Good. It's been like yeah. quite a a relaxing thing for me. Mm, very therapeutic, and that helped me a lot in that time. And then after a few years, like friends and family said, "Oh, can you share a few of the recipes that?" you've made or they might come round and I'd feed them and they'd want the recipe and I it got to the point where after 3 or 4 years of doing it I said I'll open a website and I'll put everything on there and it took me 9 months to put 20 recipes on the website I think because I was just probably only 40% recovered at this point when I started the website um it took me a long time and I I decided that would be the best place. Like I can just write the recipe on there. Friends and family will have the website and they can just go and get what they want. I don't need to like text yeah. it to everyone. Keep messaging it's quite, everyone, yeah. Yeah, it's hard work with that. So I thought that's the easiest place. And I thought, okay, I'll set up Instagram at the same time and Facebook and those friends can follow it on there and they can just know when I've put up a new recipe and then they can go to the website. It was no, there was no intention of like, other people seeing it really like obviously I was posting it out to the world, but I didn't really expect anyone to see it. Not like it is now like people that are cut the recipe space has become really saturated and people are coming into the space knowing exactly what they're going to do. You know, they're, they're coming in to, to build a following, want to create a recipe book, um, do brand jobs, all of that. Are they coming in knowing? what they want to achieve from it i had six years ago that there was none of that like there wasn't even instagram stories when i was doing it like that's how long ago this was um so it was all just photos that was it um
0: i was gonna ask about um sorry i was gonna ask about how how was that growth it obviously mm. wasn't overnight but yeah was it was uh, it something which which steadily kind of happened and you were like oh like people are actually now kind of going to my website or visiting my blog and doing these recipes?
1: I think I had the first thousand followers was in a month. First 5,000, I think, was in a couple months. So it's quite quick. Like, it would be hard to grow that quick now, unless you have something that really pops off. Um, So it was a lot easier then. I think I maybe it was 10,000 in three or four months or something like that. So it did, it did kick off quite, quite a lot. Um, And then I've had like...
0: Was that from just posting pictures? Yeah. Um, With the recipes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, and yeah, there wasn't loads of people doing it back then. So like if people were looking for food or I think my story resonated with people, if people were looking for food, there wasn't loads of people doing it. So it was, you were kind of hitting... There was like an, a need for it, and I was sort yeah. of in there quite early, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it grew quite well from that. And I just didn't know what was going on. Like I was like, "Where are the? What, why are these people like following?" I don't. I didn't even understand what was going on. And then obviously after about three or four months, I realised that okay, this is quite interesting. Like I'm reaching a whole audience that I didn't even. I don't even know who they are, yeah. um, and that's so like common now isn't it like everyone knows that you're posting on instagram to to reach people that you don't know like but that long ago it really wasn't a big thing like it it really wasn't like it things have changed so so much crazy
0: how like new platforms just keep popping up now and um video being i feel it's crazy like before it was like just do a post and write a long caption but now like it's like you've got to create a video with music and captions and trending songs
1: yeah it's a whole different space it's it's Mm. been quite interesting to grow in it myself because like I said it went from photos then stories started coming about then it started to shift into video three years ago and it really hasn't stopped like it's just video 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 now and like I said people are coming into it with intention of making money from it like turning it into a job whereas back then it really wasn't a thing how many followers was it until
0: you decided maybe i should like monetize this and try and do this full time uh,
1: i think so when we like i mentioned earlier when i got married i felt like i need to turn it into a business i probably was at about uh, 70 50 to seventy thousand, i i'd say followers back then mm. Um, so this is five, four and a half, five, five years ago. Um, so not huge, but obviously it's been a lot more common now for people to grow like a million followers in like six months. Like that's quite common yeah. now on it, on TikTok and places like that. Back then it was 70 odd thousand was pretty decent, um, for that space and then
0: how did you go about making that step how did what was the first step in terms of you like monetizing it because i think i think it's one of them questions that it gets asked quite a lot and Mm. it's really hard it's like do i do a cookbook or do i do a product or do i sell a service like what what was that kind of step for yourself
1: i always wanted to one of my main goals was to create a cookbook. Um, I also started to get ads on my website, which is common for literally every single website you go on has ads. So I'd start to make a bit of revenue from that. I, um was started accepting brand jobs. I turned a few down in the first couple of years because I just didn't want, I wanted it to be quite a... Like a ad free space, I guess. Like I just wanted it to be yeah. organic content, so I started doing some brand work. Uh, I tried to get a book deal five years ago. Didn't didn't go to plan, so that was quite depressing at the time. Um, and then they off. They, I had really good meetings, and they just said that you weren't ready, and I didn't. I went away from. Well, i didn't get that feedback until a week after the meetings but i went i sort of felt like i was like no i am ready like you've made a mistake i'm ready yeah. and now i brought out a book a year ago and i looked back and i wasn't ready like i was way too early in my journey to bring out a cookbook really, like no. they are extremely hard work demanding things to do um so I definitely wasn't ready back then but at the time you don't see that do you? you just sort of think I'm ready um so yeah it was just mainly brand work ad revenue on the website and I did bring out an ebook. I think that I was selling copies of that but apart from that there was no like other sort of revenue that was from it it was very sort of gradual growth really yeah what is the main revenue uh, is the main revenue now
0: through like the cookbook and like the odd brand deal kind of thing
1: yeah pretty much so again website it's all the same really uh website ad revenue uh brand deals through social media and um the book that I did a year ago um that that's it's oh, all it is literally all the same it's just grown yeah, oh really? <laughs>
0: I was going to ask you, um, how long did it take you to kind of write the cookbook then?
1: Uh, I signed the book deal in March 2021 and the book came out in March 2022. So it took about, you get about three, I had about three months to write all of the recipes. Then it, then it needs to be, wow. it's quite a long process. Like it's turning a cookbook around in a year is quite a quick. Turnaround often they're anywhere between one to two years to do so I turned around the recipes quite quick and this is middle this was like obviously lockdown and through a decent part of this as well so I would um create the recipes then I had to have you know editorial stuff on them um then the photo shoot for the for the recipes and the book cover uh so it is a very long process process okay. yeah and it's quite emotionally um, difficult throughout that period as well because you're sort of like got a lot of expectations and you just want it to do well and you're nervous because you don't know what it's going to come out like and how people are going to react whether people are going to buy it um, so yeah it's Was quite you
0: overwhelmed a, with the response? Was you really happy with the response to the cookbook
1: when yeah, you launched it? no it's been even you know people are still buying it now and it's um, been out over a year it's been an amazing journey. Like it's something I'll always be very proud of to walk in mm. a waterstones. And that was always my vision. Like I wanted to walk yeah. into waterstones and see my face on a shelf. <laughs> like that was when I sort of, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was when I thought, okay, if I can do that, then I've done all right. Like that was, yeah, that was one it. of my big goals. Yeah.
0: I mean, what, what, what's your goals now going forward? Obviously you've kind of hit one of them big goals of obviously, launching that cookbook but what's Mm. your goals for what's the next big one on the um, agenda you could say
1: um surviving being a parent I think at the moment it's (laughs) yeah it's um I haven't really set any like other big ones I always have been quite spontaneous like the book one was always like I always wanted to achieve that and then when I have have done that I the next one is just Going with like, I've always been someone that does just go with what happened, like the, the experience and go with the flow of things. Like I don't put too much pressure on myself because I, you know, my health is the, the most important thing to me. And I have been struggling since we've had the baby. Like it's really put me under strain, like running your own business with the with the health condition, uh, it, and it, and you know getting lack of sleep, things dramatically change in your life. Um, so I, I it has been a difficult like nine months for me to be honest. So it's it's kind of like taking each day as it comes, doing the best yeah. that I can, um, and just trying to enjoy it as well. Like that's the main thing because as soon as you don't enjoy something, there's not there's no point doing it, is there? So I'm trying to still keep the the passion with that. Um, and I'd love to obviously create more books and um, do other it's things interesting in the what you say
0: About passion, because obviously when when you started off, it, it was never for the no. for the money. Or, but I, th- I think I think that's where most people do the successful people. It always starts off with that passion and that drive, mm. and then it always ends up being something they get paid to do. Then kind of thing. Like. Yeah,
1: because you you've it's got the same to have with the, the passion. Podcast, like, yeah, yeah, you you have to have the passion to turn up and do it. Like you know you're doing this podcast off your own back, uh, you know, on an evening in the week, you don't need to do that, right? Like you, you're doing it because you enjoy having the conversations with people and learning things and sharing it with other people. Like you, you, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't enjoy it. Like you have to, you know, I, I enjoy standing there and cooking. Um, and I'm just fortunate that I've managed to turn it into a job um and but if i lose that passion for it then i'm not going to want to do do it and i have had up and ups and downs throughout the whole process of the six years like sometimes i'm just like oh i don't want to i don't there's too much like pressure i don't know what to create like i have i've had burnt i've suffered with like content burnout Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's a lot more social media is a lot more demanding now than it ever used to be like Photos, we were saying, photos are so easy to churn out. Now it's like you know, yeah. videos. You've got to, you know, turn up. You've got to have energy. You've got to be on camera. You've got to be quite creative. It's a it's a hard space to be now. Like it is, it's a lot different to to what it used to be. So it's cr- it's, it's mad, isn't it's it? Fun, but it's also tough. Yeah,
0: it's like even do the podcast because I am doing this, I can't do more Pacific allergy content because I am I am so. Like working on the podcast and then i'll be scheduling like t- two yeah. shots on tiktok two shots and youtube shots like every night <laughs> yeah um so it's it's mad isn't it like it's crazy yeah. like what what, you, what what happens behind the scenes and more so with yourself like obviously doing the recipes and and everything but honestly james it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on there
1: yeah a lot of people don't see that side of social media
0: yeah all the kind of the behind the scenes really but yeah it's been a pleasure James having having you on the podcast to kind of mm. share your journey and obviously it's super inspiring obviously obviously what you've been through to where you are now and obviously with the cookbook book and the blog and obviously having a million followers across your platforms absolutely incredible so yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast
1: no thanks for having me um on the show Dan and hopefully this like chat can help some other people and um if they want to check out the recipes it's across all platforms is at healthy living james facebook instagram tiktok and then the website's healthy and like i said the book is available on amazon and-,
0: and i'll make sure to leave a link guys in the podcast description if you want to find that out and i'm sure that i'll be tagging it into me instagram stories when the when the podcast launches probably in the next few weeks we'll, we'll see what my schedule is like but yeah honestly james thank you so much for for coming on the podcast hope you enjoyed this episode if you do make sure to click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes every Monday morning and if you do get a chance to share the podcast with your friends family social media honestly appreciate all the support thanks again for listening to the podcast